the stuff that's going on is not your fault, George, and it's not my fault. Yeah. Um, and it's not our listeners' faults. But there is a responsibility to carry the bundle from the past generations. Like they have made decisions that now need to be changed. <laughs> so let's make it a different decision. And let's walk a little bit of a different way. I know it's uncomfortable. Change is uncomfortable, no matter the change. But it, it needs to happen. You're listening to Unsettled, Journeys in Truth and Conciliation, a podcast dedicated to breaking down barriers, undermining stereotypes, and fighting racism. I'm Jessica Vandenberg, and my co-host is George Lee. This is another of our Bridges and Milestones mini-episodes, and all that means is it's just Jessica and me doing the talking, so no guest will be joining us. Even so, we've got a few interesting points to make and expound upon, I like to think, covering such things as standing up to racism and finding your own spark moment when it comes to acting upon truth and conciliation in your own life. But before all that, Let's kick things off with a land acknowledgement. Currently, I'm situated on the traditional territory of Treaty 6, and we stand upon a land that carries the footsteps of and hearts of many First Nations, Métis, and Inuit people that have been here for thousands of years and many generations. And I'd like to acknowledge our and their relationship to Mother Earth. It is an interconnected relationship, as we're all relations, and have an obligation to respect that this land has nourished and healed, protected and embraced us. And we are grateful to the Indigenous peoples that have been stewards of this interconnected relationship. We are all relations, and as such, we all respect each other in our beliefs, but also our own individual relationships with Mother Earth. And so from my heart and spirit to yours and all those who are listening, I'd like to open up this podcast in a good way. This is a really bad analogy, so I apologize for that right away. But you know when you buy a new car and everybody has that new car, you know, it just seems like you see it everywhere. Yeah, for sure. And it's on your mind. Yeah. It's on your mind. But it seems now like, and I know that there's always been a lot of Indigenous stories, but I seem to see uh, Indigenous issues show up in places that I hadn't really noticed before. So it's really hard for me to gauge my own um, barometer on this. Like, is there more? Is there less? It seems to me that more people generally and, and settlers are, are really just kind of feeling, I don't know whether empowered is the right word, but they feel the, the, the duty to actually say something now. So I think it's one of those things where it's always been there. Like it, it's obviously been on the minds of Indigenous people since for hundreds of years. <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah, being, yeah. Being the subject of it. But I find um, there is a lot out there. But just like you said, until your eyes and ears are opened, you don't find it. You don't notice it because we've been raised in oppressive systems that um, teach us to turn a blind eye to it, right? So when the recommendations of the Truth and Reconciliation Commission came out or calls to action, I wasn't optimistic. And I know it's been slow. And I'm not trying to say this has been a massive success for the rest of Canada is finally on side or anything. We know that hasn't happened. We know that there's so many things in policy, you know, the, the actual policy makers need to do. But it's it's still more than I than I think I really thought there would be. I thought, oh, well, you know, 
indigenous people will have their moment, but then so many other things kind of coincided after the release of the of the calls to action. There were so many other, there was so much more momentum in society for kind of related types of issues too, that I think it just, it, it built a lot more than I, than I really thought it did. And that sounds Pollyanna or something because, because it really, there is still so much to do. It's being perceived, I think, less of a, as a fringe area of opinion than an actual, it's becoming more mainstream. And I think it, I think it's just getting harder to sweep under the carpet because often before media and politicians would do redirection, right? And oh, right, there's indigenous stuff over here, but oh, but don't you care about potholes or don't you care about this or don't you care about that and and redirect you elsewhere um, yeah. so you don't see this huge blatant problem that's right here, right? It's, yeah. It's the art of redirection, but it's harder to, it's harder now for people to ignore. I think about Gord Downey a lot. Um, he had read an article, I forget what magazine it was in, but it's quite a detailed story about Chani Wenjak's uh, life and, and then his um, death because of he was trying to get away from residential school and yeah. get back to his home reserve, which was like hundreds of kilometers away and, yeah. um, and he ended up um, dying. And then that sparked off in Gord Downey, um, a fire in him, or he became such a empathetic um, supporter towards Indigenous people and he started a foundation and he wrote The Secret Path and now it's something that in Eastern Canada they honor regularly in the fall and they have like a whole whole awareness campaigns around it right and so I think about that like that's like that's I think what we're trying to do is spark this in people right just the way that story sparked something in Gord Downey. Because he had become such a, a Canadian icon in the band itself and, and, it, and its songs which is really kind of a bizarre thing because because the songs are so ambiguous and poetic. I mean, they're considered kind of almost like anthems for Canada, but they're not anthems in the traditional sense. I mean, you have to they're thought provoking but in a but in a very ambiguous poetic way. So uh so the fact that he became and you know and he's passionate about hockey and a lot of Canadian things and the fact that he became this kind of symbol of what we are or kind of reflected Canadian what we consider Canadian values and so much, or, or, or things that Canadians like. So he had a platform, you know, I just really admire people who are, who know they're in the last stages of their life and they turn their attention to others like that. And, and so he used his platform in such a, an important, important way. And he had the ear of a lot of people because music transcends a lot of our, a lot of the other boundaries that we have. But that's the, the part that I am excited about when we start interviewing settler people. Um, is this spark moment, right? This moment, like what, what is it that opened your eyes or, or made you think, oh, this needs to be part of, part of the things that I do. Like this is important. There's so much of the whole paradigm that needs to change about, even about being good to people because it comes from a good place, but it is unwittingly, it's still part of the same old, we're the people in power, you're not the people in power. And we're, we are seeing it in our hearts to kind of let you in. I think that that model has probably helped a lot of people really individually, but that model is still part of, it still comes out of the, uh, uh, the, the colonial forced assimilation model that started the whole problem in the first place and breaking down that whole paradigm. We're the savior because we're the saviors because we're white. And, and, it's, and it's our club that you 
and I'm talking generally you as Indigenous people, it's our club that you need to get into. The problem is there's a club. listening to Unsettled, Journeys in Truth and Conciliation. I'm George Lee, and my co-host is Jessica Vandenberg. I like to read, like, Time Magazine special issues. Like, this year they had one on mental health and stress, and the last one that I've been reading here has been on kindness. And so it talks through kindness in many different ways, kindness to ourselves, you have kindness to other people, you have people who will, you know, give their life in order to save other people's lives. But then you have on the other end of the stick, people, for example, like Hitler, who deems that he's, he's working for the greater good by having to um, do this genocide, right? And so the people who, in your mind, or anybody's mind, uh, are extremely racist, if we were to sit inside of them, in their mind, they are still not racist, right? <laughs> like, yes. like no, no one's consciously thinking, oh, I'm a racist and, and I'm going to speak down to that person because that is their place. So much is caught up in this unconscious bias in that everybody exists in this tension every day and you have your choices that you can make every day, whether to, for lack of better terms, walk with the good or walk with the bad. But if you choose to, if you tend to be walking this way, and um, your opinion of where I'm walking is bad, in my mind, I'm still, I don't associate it with bad, right? Yeah. Like it's, it's this weird relativity, right? And when I talk with people, I often talk about this idea of the Joe Harry window. Have you heard of that? No, The I Joe Harry window. So it's um, when you do self-awareness um, and things like that, the idea of Joe Harry window is that there are things that I know about myself on one axis and things that you know about me on the other axis. And so there are things that I know about myself and you know about me because I've chosen to share them with you. There are things that I know about me that you don't know about me. There's things that you know about me from your perception that I don't know about me. And then there's things that neither of us know about me that I, I have yet to discover. Right. And so the idea in my mind is to be, as self-aware as you can so that we both have the same perception of, of me as the largest quadrant rather than it being the other way where there's a lot about myself that is very oh. secretive. And so you can look at that through a number of lenses in terms of behavior or attitude or actions and things like that. And so when it comes to, to racism, you have to be at a state of mind where you can accept the open feedback where you can say to me, um, Jessica, that isn't quite right what you said. <laughs> and in my mind, it, it falls in this other category. You have to be able to be at the readiness to be able to receive that feedback um, and then be able to wrap your mind around it and have this humility teaching there that says, yeah, you know what, that isn't right and I'm going to do differently next time. The idea of racism is so tied to identity and who we think we are. I do find it a little bit ironic that uh, you know, almost like a fairy tale situation where you have the people on the hill being so worried that the people that that are under their power might hurt their feelings when there's people who've been subjected to 
just by being born are subjected to this dynamic and that the problem ends up focusing on the people who have the power and their feelings. That doesn't get us anywhere, but, but, but opening our hearts and our minds to the idea that, that we can't help it, it's going to happen. We're going to say things that offend people. You've talked about the resilience of, of Indigenous people, and I think this, this really speaks to that. You have to steel yourself every day that sometime during your week or your month or your day or whenever it is, you're going to run into a racist attitude manifested in how somebody treats you, which is generally not a thing that I do that I need to worry about. I mean, I, I use the expression, you know, I've walked through doors in my life just by the fact of being white without even realizing their doors that were opened for me. You this know. is very true. Like, because today um, I spent some time trying to get a hold of Indigenous Services Canada. Um, and quite honestly, I've spent most of the week um, and I sat on hold for days <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> trying to get a hold of somebody to talk about my file. Um, and I think to myself, man, like to get it, it's so easy to get a driver's license and a passport. Um, but yet to talk to somebody about the indigenous status, like you have to wait and wait and wait and wait. And then you have to be transferred departments and then it's the wrong department. And then somebody has to call you back, whereas you can walk into a registry. So in my mind, while I'm sitting on hold, I'm like, oh, wouldn't it be nice, you know, if we could build this into the existing registries and, you know, you have offices everywhere and it's okay. It's like, it's all inclusive rather than, you know, this, the way it's so segregated, like it's so segregated. Anybody who has never had to call Indigenous Services Canada um, will think the passport office is hard to navigate, but this is, this is like <laughs> a million times more difficult. When you walk in certain rooms, if I think back to the childhood um, experiences that I go to, to dig up all the childhood stuff, that's, that's what it feels like, that I don't deserve to be there. I don't deserve to be um, loved. I don't deserve, I don't deserve anything, right? I deserve to, to not exist. Like all, all the stuff that's going on is not your fault, George, and it's not my fault, and it's not our listeners' faults, but there is a responsibility to carry the bundle from the past generations. Like they have made decisions that now need to be changed. <laughs> so let's make it a different decision and let's walk a little bit of a different way. I know it's uncomfortable. Change is uncomfortable, no matter the change, but it, it needs to happen. Settled Journeys in Truth and Conciliation, a podcast of stories, hope, insights, and ideas. I'm George Lee. My co-host is Jessica Vandenberg. of awareness talks with some colleagues and so there's 10 of them we start from the beginning with everybody going through a lot of the truth side of things and some of the facts and historic things that are happening and then as we get into the springtime we're going to talk a little bit more about 
this idea of allyship or um, champions and advocates and what is the difference between all of those and then finding the right fit for your personality because that's an important piece of it too right like an introverted person would never speak out in a room um, against racism but an introverted person can still be a valuable ally and champion but doing actions that fit their personality better like and that might be letter writing to the mlas or um, influencing policy in a different way behind the scenes whereas somebody who is outspoken they can be the the larger voice in rooms because um, that fits their personality Uh, introverted people can be really really persuasive because when they speak they're they're listened to where a lot of you know as an extrovert I find a lot of people just press the ignore button <laughs> at some point with me. And, okay, yeah, okay. I, I probably deserve that, so I, I can live with that. But I think introverted people, they tend to be listened to when they do speak. Because of the things I've been through, like I, I find it very hard to speak up for myself in the moment something is happening, right? Uh, yeah. um, but I'm very thankful to the people who speak up for me when they're also in that moment and they see something not mm. right. I went skiing last year, or it must have been the year before, um, on a, a bus trip. And I remember we arrived, I think, in Revelstoke or um, Kicking Horse or some mountain little town. And we were headed all to the hotel. We all were unloading our gear and carrying it to the hotel. And the hotel doors were locked because it was, um, you know, after midnight that our bus arrived there. The In front of me, somebody said, oh, why are the doors locked? And his friend said, well, it's to keep the, the drunken Indians out. And then the, the, like his friend like says, hey, right, like, what are you saying? And he looks and he kind of indicates to me, like, like stuff like that happens. And then I'm like, I don't, like, I have no idea what to say in those moments, yeah. right? And then it just like I automatically go to this um, freeze mode, right? This, yeah. Where you're in the shame and you're like, oh, I just want to be invisible. But I'm glad for oh. people when they can speak up in those moments and say, hey, don't. There's another aspect to what you just said too, and that is, uh, and I'm not criticizing the person who stuck up for you, but the idea that it's it's not okay to say that if there's an Indigenous person standing with you, but it's not okay to say that if there isn't an Indigenous person standing with you too. And I think that's when when you're just part, as I use the term club, when you're just hanging out with, a, when I am just hanging out with other white people, what is my tolerance for racist jokes or attitudes and more and more my tolerance is zero like i don't want to hear it i and i and i want to call you out when you when you assume because i'm white that i'm going to think your uh racist opinion is acceptable just because i'm another white person and i think that's yeah. where it's really important too like i think about my partner like he's my partner for a reason <laughs> <laughs> because he, he he's a mechanic in in one of the shops here in town and he has heard um and they have a lot of they have a lot of different races within their shop there um and so they've had a lot of racist comments made um and a lot of joking back and forth and i remember him telling me when he first started dating me he said i went into the lunchroom and i said guys i had zero tolerance before for racist jokes but I'm now dating this native lady and definitely I don't want to hear nothing. I want to hear nothing from any of you. Right. And, nice. and I, I thought, wow, this, that's amazing. Like no one, no one has ever done that. 
but yeah. like even that I'm not even there and they don't even see me. But he like he stated it proudly and he said, no, zero. As important as them not speaking because they're now aware of that, there's also what does that do in their own hearts? Like, does that have an effect in their own hearts? Because now somebody has said that and says that this has a real world impact. So don't say it around me. And then I think they're less likely to say it in other situations too, because they realize it's not just a stereotype or a, or a trope they can trot out uh, to go with a certain, to, to bond within their, within their group. It's no longer an acceptable, an acceptable route for those bonding, social cohesion kinds of things that we do. And that's, a, and that's the thing, like it, it has to become more personal before people open their eyes to some of the things that are built into our systems. You're listening to Unsettled, Journeys in Truth and Conciliation. I'm Jessica Vandenberg and my co-host is George Lee. The list of recipients of the Order of Canada, so there's three levels, there's companion, officer, and member, as you probably know. So so a lot of people, a lot more people get or become members of the Order than become companions of the Order. And it just has to do with your impact in society and uh, with your impact within Canadian society. If I was never really kind of a full-fledged punk rocker or anything, or or, or uh, aficionado of the of the music, Although I have a, a lot of bands over the years that I've liked in that category. So one of them in, in Canada is a guy named Art Bergman. So he lives in the Calgary area now. He became popular in Vancouver with a band called uh, uh, Young Canadians was one of his, was one of his bands. And, and his response was just so good. So here's what he said, his reaction to re- becoming a, a member of the Order of Canada. There are a few things that have gone wrong in Canada, and me not having an award for my work is not one of them. Honour the treaties, give the First Nations water and housing, and thank you very much, Canada, a work in progress. So that's his quote from a, from a settler person. And I just, there's so much I love about that quote. He packed so much into that little quote. He packed humility into it, like he didn't not accept the, the award, he accepted it but he, he used it as a platform and he didn't show disrespect for Canada, but he acknowledged that we have work to do, that we're a work in progress and we need to fix this stuff. And as past guests have said, this is critical to our future as a nation. And if we get anything from what we see in the States is that our nationhood isn't guaranteed. Our institutions aren't guaranteed to survive any kind of uh, real challenge that comes out of racism and racist attitudes. We have to look at how we develop as a nation and continue developing. I think it's great um, that, especially when people use the positions and platforms that they they get in order to bring to light um, things that need to be brought to light. And, and the indigenous issue, of course, is one that needs to be brought to light. Um, and so it's always heartening to hear that. And I agree you can hear the humility in it. Like you can tell when we always call the chatter, you know, in the consultant world, there's all this chatter of people. Oh yeah. I'm going to like the savior attitude that you mentioned earlier. 
that oh you know as consultants we're gonna we're gonna help the first nations we're gonna go in there we're gonna figure it out we're gonna give them new infrastructure blah 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 we're gonna figure this out you can tell the people who um, are doing that because that will contribute to their what they term success um, of getting contracts and um, money back to their company and things like that um, and, but you can tell the difference between those who are authentically doing it in order to truly help the nations become stronger vibrant communities and you can tell the difference from the chatter to people who um, have the humility and the authentic um, approach to what needs to be done right and you can hear that in that quote do people have a responsibility to get up every morning and learn about indigenous issues we don't have that base understanding we've been neglected that in our educations we don't have even the basics are are have either been misrepresented or not represented at all uh, about what indigenous canada is what what the indigenous communities of canada are to the to the foundation and advancement of this of this country but if you if that's not your life i mean we all have our lives to live and you have other things to do and i realize there's limited time but the thing i would say to those people is at least the next time there's some issue where you're inclined to say those damn indigenous people look they're stopping that pipeline or they're at or they're 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 complaining about their land again you have to check your own opinion on that if you've done none of the research and have not even thought deeply about this other than a knee-jerk reaction so yeah if you don't want to do the work fine that is your choice as a free human being in this society but temper your opinion, or at least just stand back and listen when those issues come up, because there's more to it than meets your knee-jerk reaction. That's very well said, for sure. I, I'm very much of that attitude too. Like if if I don't have an informed opinion, I'm just going to listen. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because there's enough opinion, there's enough uninformed opinions out there. I don't need to add to that chatter either. There's 24 hours in a day, right? And you have a choice of what you can dedicate your, those 24 hours to. And a lot of mine is is reading on this stuff too, because to me it's important. So I dedicate time to it. Maybe not every day, but definitely within the month, a uh, significant portion. Unsettled, Journeys in Truth and Conciliation is a production of Features West Studios in Edmonton, Alberta. Co-hosts, Jessica Vandenberg and me, George Lee. Music written and performed by Kevin John, a member of the Cayucat Chaklazit First Nation on Vancouver Island. Logo conceived and designed by Corrine Riedel and Sandy Brown Van Dam. You can find us on Spotify, Apple, Stitcher, Google, and other major platforms. Remember to visit and like our Facebook page and keep your head up in 2021. Thanks for listening. <laughs>